Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate that, brother. Thank you so much. All right, so um, I've made a little bit of an adjustment to our study. We're in Matthew 13, if you want to find your place there, beginning in verse 18. We're going to stand and read that in just a minute, but let me give you a little bit of a review. Uh, And what I mean by making the adjustment is we are changing this to a series called People of God's Kingdom. I should have made this clear last time. That's what this chapter is really all about. And then Today we're going to look especially or specifically at the explanation of the parable of the sower. Okay, Jesus has been talking about that. In fact, you'll remember when we left Jesus and the disciples last time, they were on the beach. And they were there because many people had begun to follow them, follow Jesus particularly. And as his custom was, while there, instead of being able to have a little bit of a respite, uh, ministry was very busy. And so he saw the crowd and began to teach them specifically about the kingdom of God. Okay? Now, his message has not really changed since his, his ministry began, but it has become more specific. In this case, he's dealing now with what it means really to be a child of the kingdom. And so to do so, you'll remember that he began telling stories of the kingdom of God or similarly the same meaning kingdom of heaven through parables and we identified the fact that a parable is a earthly story if you will about a heavenly meaning it's just an illustration that is used to help people understand the truth and it was designed just as we're already saying so that people would begin to visualize, if you will, or conceptualize what it means to be a part of the kingdom and what the kingdom of heaven is really like. Now, so interesting, and I won't take a lot of time to go into this, but, you know, from the Lord's perspective, and we know as true believers that that is a necessity, as the life of the true believer is very different from the life of the person who is sinful by nature. That's all of us, right? We come into this world sinful, But yet God says there is no way to enter into his kingdom unless we have had our debt paid. And so the citizen of the kingdom is very different from the citizen of this earth, even though we live in this same fleshly body. Now, this first illustration, as we've already known, is a parable about planting seeds. And he's not just talking about God. We'll say this again more clearly as we go through this. He's talking about all of us, the people who become a part of The kingdom are seed sowers. God is the main one. The seed is the word of God. But we all become a part of that as his children. And so that is part of all of this. Now, interestingly, you'll remember the purpose of a parable was to give the picture of the kingdom. But in this case, he didn't do so. In verse 9, he said, just simply, he who has ears, let him hear. To which the disciples who'd been traveling with him now and learning and seeing all of these things happen began to be pretty perplexed. What do you mean? Why are you not telling them more about what you're specifically saying? And now because the Lord has no delight in you being a believer in keeping you in the dark about his kingdom, he now explains to the true believers what he's really talking about. And so he's going to address now in verse 18 to the disciples and all of us who are listening what he's really talking about in this particular parable. So stand with me now and let's read it in God's word, verse 18 all the way through verse 23. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. 
This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. All right, you may be seated. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, if you're listening at all, you understand that this is a very simple sounding type of parable to use the word that Jesus is using. Uh, but really there's a much, much deeper meaning, and that's what Jesus wants the disciples to understand. Now, for us to understand this, I've divided this in four different ways, and you've heard sermons on this particular section, I'm sure, many times over, which people have uh, divided in their own way. Uh, I'm setting aside the first one as the confused hearer, okay? The confused hearer. Then we're going to look at the fair weather here, and you don't have to write all these down specifically right now unless you're a fast writer. The anxious here, and then of course course the true here, or the true believer. So let's look at the confused here first. Now just for the sake of the argument, let's go back and again reread verse 19 so that we understand specifically what Jesus is saying here. Notice he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, That means, very specifically, that God sows seed, or the word, to the world. Okay, So everybody is included in the hearing of the gospel. And that becomes very evident as we look around us. We see and hear throughout our lifetime, and we look across the world. There's churches everywhere. There's Bibles everywhere. There are believers everywhere. And so the world does, in fact, hear the truth of God's word. But Jesus says, when they do not understand it... The evil one comes, speaking of Satan, and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one I was talking about, basically using my paraphrase here, was sown beside the road. And you remember we talked about that last time. So again, notice several things about this particular person. Number one, they hear the message. It's not like they're deaf or dumb to the spiritual message that's being given, meaning that they have been in some situation of life to hear the word of God. Whatever that may have looked like, wherever they may have been, either they may have grown up in the church, they may have grown up in a godly family or a parent or some uh, authority person in their life who taught them something, or someone perhaps invited them to church, they had some conversation with a person, Uh, maybe they were witnessed to by someone, in their goings about in life, maybe even they attended a Christian school. In some way, they at least have been presented with the truth of God's word. And that's what Jesus is saying here. But according to him, for some reason, they don't understand it. At least that's what the disciples are hearing at this particular point. But what Jesus is really saying, it's not just for no reason. It's particularly because they don't really care to hear it. Oh, they hear it. They internalize it. But they don't really want to hear it. 
And that's really because their hearts are hardened. That's the picture of the seed falling on the side of the road where it's hard and the ground is crusty. Basically not wanting anything to do with religion. Now you probably have met people like this. You may be one of those people that's here this morning. Maybe you're here or listening, watching online because somebody told you you should. Maybe you're going through some problems in life and you just realize that there's some needed fix in there. And so somebody said, you should get religion. You should tune into your local preacher. You know, put the quarter in the slot and he'll spit out a sermon and you can listen and you'll be feeling better about your life. Well, I hope that's the case. I remember some years ago, there was a friend of mine that I used to run with when I was in the secular work before I was in vocational ministry. I used to work in a manufacturing environment. And so on our lunch break, we used to run together and literally would run. Uh, And uh, he was better than me, but nonetheless, we would do it. And uh, I remember just knowing that I needed to witness to this guy. I needed to share with him the truth of the gospel. And so I did often. Many times over, I would share as God would give me the opportunity. But I never forget one day while we were changing to go back to work in the locker room, he looked at me just right in the eye and he said, Bruce, don't ever bring this up to me again, to which I didn't. It's an example of someone who hears the truth. And evidently there may have been some conviction there, but they didn't want to go further with the things of God. And so as I, being the sower in that case, spread the seed... They were hearing, but didn't want to go any further again, as I said. I have had other situations like that, similar to you. I remember uh, being at uh, a place where we do exercise, okay? And I remember talking to someone there and uh, was telling them, actually, they asked me what I do for a living. And again, as I've said before, many times that's where the conversation kind of stops flat. Uh, In this case, I said, oh, I'm a pastor, And I began to share with them about our church and a little bit about life and what it means to be a Christian. And he kind of just put up his hand and said, I don't care anything about that. I said, okay, no problem. And so people are like that. Again, you may be like that. You may have been like that. And so you know who Jesus or what Jesus is talking about. What he's simply saying is that that kind of response is due to a heart that's hardened, for lack of better words. There's something wrong there. They're just not concerned about spiritual need. It's just not important to them. And that's typically because internally they believe they're fine. I don't need that. I don't need something like that. You've heard the expression from people before that Christians are those people who just are weak and need the help. And that's why they trust in this God. And that's kind of an extreme thought. But there are people who are like that. And so whatever the reason is, these people, Jesus says, just don't want to hear the message. And so the Lord then says, that's when Satan does his dirtiest work. He knows their heart just because of not that he's uh, understanding the depth of a person. He can't read the mind. He can't see into the heart. He's not God. But he does watch. And he sees and hears conversations. You realize that, right? He is aware of everything that happens in your life. He can't read your mind. He can't know what's going on in your heart, but he does watch you. And if you've been alive any length of time at all, he knows your mannerisms. He knows where you go. He knows your personality type. He hears and sees all of this. Now, that's not to frighten you because you don't need to be frightened. If the Spirit of God lives in you, you know you're under the protection of God. All of our days are numbered by him. But the reality is, is that 
He has the ability to steal away from the heart that's hardened, the one that doesn't want to hear the truth of God's word. And we learned a couple of sermons ago that Jesus said, well, that's kind of like the demon that's there in the soul. When they leave, your heart may be swept clean. You're hearing the truth. But if you reject it, more problems come. Remember he said more than seven demons come back. Okay. And you will receive less and less light as you darken your heart. Well, that's pretty much what he's saying here. It's Satan who's behind all of that. And therefore, this person then remains in their unconverted state. Okay? There is no salvation, even though this person has heard clearly. He goes on then now to the second one, which is the fair weather hearer. Let's again read the text, verses 20 and 21, to be clear. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. So again, now we have a different person who also has the seed of God's word sown on them. But when they hear it, Jesus says, oh, this is great. This is awesome. They understand and internalize deeply that they need this. And even then we'll begin to make some changes. They see the need. They are aware that there is something to this, that this is truly God, probably because they know that sin is real. And if I were to ask any one of us, even if you're not aware of what the word sin really means, and maybe somebody's listening like that this morning, you understand that there is a brokenness to life, right? Brother Tim was just talking about it in his prayer. We realize that there's a lot of brokenness in this world. Well, we understand as believers that that's all a result of sin. And so this person comes to the place of life of realizing that I am broken. There's something that needs to be fixed in this. I'm not living a life that's pleasing to God. That's what the word is now revealed to them evidently. And so there's that conviction of sin and it's a real conviction that's a realization that there is a life after death that there is a new place to live one day and it's not going to be good for those who reject God's offer and so when they learn that Jesus loves them and that he has a plan for their life that sounds like a great thing right I mean who wouldn't want that who doesn't want to have this life change and Specifically, that they can be saved from the penalty of their sins. That God will redeem them and fix the problems and give them a better life. Well, they hear that story and they're all in. I mean, show me where to sign. It won't take but just a minute. But the problem is, for many people, and this is where Jesus is going with this, is that 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 kind of response is just an emotional response. And we are emotional people, right? We're driven very much by our emotions. That's good. God gave us emotions, and so we often make responses and decisions out of emotion. Well, Jesus is saying simply here, this is what this person has done. There's some great emotional need that they're aware of in their hearts, and so they respond out of this great emotional conviction, no matter what what it is that's driving them that way, because they know that God can can fix it, but the reality is, is that it's only temporary. That's what he means when he says that the root doesn't take hold. There's a lot of flowering truth to it. The picture on the surface looks great. 
but deep down it's never taken root. And particularly Jesus points to the fact that this happens when someone or something challenges their faith. When the difficult times come, or specifically when somebody points out the fact that they realize you are a believer, or that person is a believer. And when those challenges come, because there's no depth of root there, they can't handle it. They don't know what to do with it. Because the Spirit of God is not really there in the soul. There's never been a real change of life. And so it's easy to go the other direction. And in fact, that's exactly what they do. They return to their sinful ways. Meaning there was, again, no real change, usually because the confession was just that quick fix to the problem. Kind of that idea of what we said last time of turning over a new leaf without really understanding that true repentance, and I hope you've been hearing this all along, that true repentance is not just an emotional change. True repentance is being able to and fully accepting the fact that, that there's internal change that needs to happen. That you're going this direction in life and you know now that you need to turn and go this direction and truly follow Jesus. Not just because he's going to fix your problems, but because you know that there is a needed change here. There's an internal change here. Some people have thought, well, I walked an aisle. I remember when the evangelist showed up and he was screaming and yelling and telling me I needed to repent and I, I felt something move in me and, and, and maybe or there was a genuine moving of the Spirit tugging on the heart there and, and, and you responded. You can remember the day where you stepped out and you walked forward and you said that you gave your life to Christ all out of that response or maybe some of you were remembering where that same evangelist or preacher said, now every head bowed and every eye closed and raise your hand if you know that you need Jesus, which is not wrong. That's okay. There's nothing wrong about that kind of call. You remember doing that perhaps. And that's your story. Or you signed a card thinking that you're making a deep commitment. You joined the church out of a deep commitment of your own heart but you don't understand or that person, Jesus would say, doesn't understand that that's not the Christian life. That's not representative of the kingdom of heaven. Now, don't get me wrong when I'm saying this. That's all right and well and good. That's the great starting place. And maybe God did that with you. That's how he began to open the door of your heart. But the point Jesus is making is it doesn't stop there. The root needs to go down into the heart. This needs to be a heart change where you die to self. That your desire is not for you anymore and what you want in this life, but it's solely for what the Lord wants. You become a servant to him, a slave of a benevolent master who wants to transform you from the inside out. That's what we really mean by dying to self and that you become that new person that goes from the old life to the new. And the truth is, though, and we all know this, it's much easier to live that life of what appears to be a true believer inside the church. You know what I mean? Boy, it's easier to come here and fellowship with one another on a Sunday morning, to talk about the things of God, to enjoy the things of God. There's no shame in that. There's no feeling of oppression here when we do that because we're all doing the same thing. We're all here for the same purpose. 
But it's not that way out in the world. It's quite a different story, isn't it? I mean, the world looks at us like we have two, three, four, five heads and think we're crazy. And they'll tell you that. And you know that. And so you come in here and you feel the warm fuzzies and enjoy the things of the things of God. But you go out into the world and experience what the world says about Christianity and who God is. And all of a sudden it becomes a very challenging situation. In some countries, and this is far different than it is here in our country, at least yet, right now, some countries you bring up the name of Christ and you'll be literally beheaded. I remember a friend of mine who I once worked with also in that same company uh, had to go to Saudi Arabia one time. And uh, he was a believer. And uh, I remember him telling me when, we, when he went there, he said, I didn't dare bring up the fact that I was a Christian. Now, I'm not going to judge his Christian status at that point, but I just know that he was careful to be very uh, scrutinous about his life with Christ because of the setting that he was in. Uh, Some of you all will remember just a few months ago when young Vladimir was here. I'm not talking about Vladimir Putin. (laughs) That would have been nice if we could have helped him to see the truth. Uh, But there was a young man named Vladimir who was working with the shoebox ministry. Do you remember him? He came. Um, He had grown up in Kiev. His father was a pastor. And he was telling me, just standing right back there, he was telling me about how oppressed his father was and how much persecution his father underwent while he was living there in Kiev. That was when it was still under the Russian control many years ago. Uh, In such ways as he was not allowed to take certain jobs, his salary was cut, and more and more pressure was put on him until finally he was able to get his family out of there. And so... Those are very serious kind of situations, very challenging situations. I, in fact, have had people say to me at times as I've gone out into the world witnessing and to the community, you know, sometimes people will just wave their hand and say, oh, I don't want to hear anything about that. Mostly in our country, though, people are still pretty kind. At least they have been. I think that's probably changing, too. I remember one time, though, when we were in Romania, uh, I don't remember, we were at some kind of open market and we were doing some witnessing on that particular day and I walked up to this young man and was just, I think we had some Bibles with us and I was wanting to give him a Bible and he just looked at me and he says, what if I killed you right now? I said, well, you could do that. (laughs) He says, I don't want to hear what you have to say. And so I said, okay. Walked away. Quickly, but I walked walked away. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) but that's important. You know, I'm making a little bit of light of that, but you know, it's okay to have these internal feelings because of, of fear I'm talking about. The point is not that believers don't have fear. The point is that we realize that there's something far more valuable and something greater than our fear, which is to be obedient to the Lord. Because Jesus, and I believe, is really not talking about just those times when we're fearful. He's talking about those people who set out well, but then when the pressures come, they reject. They just don't want to walk with him. They just can't take it, as I've already said. Okay, So don't, don't feel like this morning, if you're thinking about yourself, and like, yeah, I've, I witness and I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant sometimes, and, but I want to, and, and, and I try, and I, I give it my best shot, uh, and I do trust the Lord through all of this. I don't, the Lord's not talking about that. He knows our weaknesses. He's talking about, as I said, the times where we just run from the truth when we know consistently what we're supposed to be doing. So ask yourself, how are you this morning? 
what's your life really like? Okay. Are you that person who is kind of that fair weather Christian? And things are going well. I don't mind serving you, Lord, as long as it's on the beaches of Waikiki, right? That kind of thing. Or am I willing to serve him no matter what in every situation? If you can't answer that affirmatively, then there's room to question. Some reason to be thinking about what the Lord is asking you. In fact, Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be not given a mansion on the beach. That'd be nice. And maybe sometimes that will happen. But what did he say? You will be persecuted. You will find resistance. Those who are truly believers. The question is, what do you do with that resistance? Do you give up? Or do you keep moving with Christ? All right, let's go on to the third one. The anxious hearer. The anxious hearer. Verse 22. The third one is the one whom seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word. There it is again. And the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So again, the person hears, evidently embraces the truth, just like the former. Uh, basically with every outward appearance that they can muster up, meaning they're this person, I think Jesus is saying, is the one who will go the extra mile for him. This is the person who serves when nobody else will serve. And I'm talking about in the church. Serving him externally. Staying late. Being there early. The most outwardly dedicated people in the group. When it comes to the externals of life. Until the worries of life get in the way. And cause the problem. Which can be a lot of things. The worries of life, Jesus doesn't specify more specifically than what he does here, but he is pretty specific, such as with money. Notice how he says, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. Now, that word wealth obviously is speaking of financial things, but wealth comes in a lot of different forms, right? We could put it in the way of prosperity, or, and I'm talking about internal or external in the sense of people knowing you not just from money itself, but specifically staying with that. This word deceitful means, and this is interesting, having misleading or erroneous views about the truth. Misleading or erroneous views about the truth. You put that together in the verse, and the Lord is saying basically they have erroneous views about wealth. Wrong views about wealth. Meaning this person evidently believes that things, wealth, possessions, I'm talking about physical in this life, or if you want to put it this way, the must-haves are more important than the things of God and what God provides. So when life begins to press them financially, specifically speaking, or even just materially, then this person, Jesus says, gets overwhelmed and they become fearful. And the truth of what faith is all about in his word and kingdom living then begins to be pushed out. Because they just can't remove themselves from the concern over the everyday material situation of life. They can't separate the two. They can't live in the physical sphere and also live in the 
spiritual sphere. They don't know how to merge those two together because they are so horizontally focused on only what they see. They just can't live in the spiritual at the same time. Even if the Lord asks them to, they just can't let go of the fear and the insecurity that comes with living a life without having things, without having the basic necessities of life. In other words, they just believe it's better to make sure that the daily necessities are met than it is to abandon what I believe is right and go with the Lord. So this would be the person who follows Jesus again until he or she gets concerned that they're not going to be able to pay the bills. could be as simple as that. Or again, have the necessities that they have grown accustomed to in this life. In our culture, that would be something like insurance. It's a pretty basic necessity, isn't it? Been to the doctor lately? Maybe had to go to the emergency room some months ago over an issue. We got there a few minutes before 8 o'clock in the morning. They said to us, if you'd have come after 8 o'clock, you'd have been thousands of dollars less. That trip was about $4,000 for about an hour's visit. It's expensive, isn't it? We're, we're conditioned to think and know there's certain things we just have to have in this life or we're going to get really uncomfortable when those difficult times come. Sometimes it's about where you live. Some people will say, oh, I just can't live in that neighborhood. I mean, there's bad people in that neighborhood. So they pick and choose which neighborhood they live in. And again, don't hear me wrongly in this. God is not talking about being unwise. Sometimes I think people think that there is the absence of wisdom when we're talking about living by faith, that's not what faith is. Faith is not the absence of reason and decision-making and good facts and information. It's not what faith is. Faith is being willing to follow God no matter what he says. I wonder sometimes how many people, and I know this to be true in, in certain people's lives, but I just wonder how many people have rejected following the Lord even in ministry. Because they've been taught or conditioned that there are a lot of things in life they'll have to give up. And I'm talking again materially for the fear of what God may call them to do. Oh, Lord, I'll serve you. As I was joking a moment ago, as long as you send me to a very elaborate place like Hawaii or or wherever, as long, Lord, I'll do this as long as I can sustain my current standard of living. I'll follow you wherever you want me to go as long as. It's the reason many people, again, don't go into ministry or even on missions. Sometimes people won't even do short-term missions trips, and I'm talking about a week-long venture. Those of us that have gone, we know that sometimes it's a little challenging. The coffee might not taste quite as good. You know, the food might be just a little different. It might be a little hot. You might have to sleep beside some smelly teenager. Or worse, some smelly youth pastor. I've done that before too. But I probably was just as smelly. You know, we think sometimes to go serve the Lord means it's going to be all drudgery and pain and agony. And the reality is that's just not true. Because when we go with an open heart, God just has this way of providing our needs. I remember a friend of mine who went through a very difficult time. In fact, 
they're separated now. He came to, he was serving in a church in, in the Charleston, South Carolina area and evidently had a beautiful home there and his wife just absolutely loved it. Kind of a little white house with a picket fence and church she loved. And my friend began to feel the, the need and the calling on his life to go to seminary. He had been serving in this church, but he had not gone to seminary. And so he felt God calling him. And so he moved, left the church, left that little white picket fence house and took his wife to, the, to, the, to seminary, and she absolutely hated it. Did not want to go. I'm not speaking against her. I'm just telling you the conflict that ensued, and as a result, they eventually separated. It's really tough on a lot of people to follow the Lord no matter what he asks of us to do. And so Jesus is really just saying, this is my call. This is my condition that you be willing to follow me and do whatever I ask you to do, even if it means you feel like you're not getting something materially that you would want to have, like, or do in this life. That was the rich young ruler. Remember him? That was a perfect example of the guy, Matthew 19, who said to Jesus, everything I've done, I am the external flower of spiritual life. And in his mind and heart, he really believed and probably was doing all the external things right. But Jesus knew his heart. And so he said to him, here's the one thing you haven't done. Interestingly, you got a lot of stuff. Go give it all away. Go sell it all and then come follow me. Why did you have to go there? Why did you have to pick on that one? And evidently that wasn't what he was willing to do because we're told that he went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. And so this person then also, like the previous two, remain unconverted. So then we come to the last one, the true believer, the true hearer. The one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some 160 or 30-fold. Salvation makes sense. He gets it. I see I need to change. I need to let God come into my heart and change me from the inside out. I see my heart. I realize it's broken. I understand that there's nothing that I can do to fix it. And I'm not talking about physically broken. I'm talking about spiritually broken. They realize they're not just fractured, that there's just not a part of them that's bad. That's how these other three have lived. But they understand that in totality, they have nothing that's worthy of giving to God. They realize they have nothing that they can do to fix themselves. They've come to the end of themselves and their understanding about what they can do for themselves and that Jesus is the only one who can do and be what they need him to be. Because they realize that even in the darkest of times, that no one really cares like he does. No one really has the ability to do anything to help, as I've already said. And they understand that there is no one who understands their pain like he does. There's nobody that understands how to be able to help them. Or when they've been hurt so badly and can't do anything to fix themselves, he is the only one who can help in those ways. So this person has totally exhausted themselves of everything that they know to do and be in themselves. And Jesus says, that's the person who bears fruit. That's the one who has heard the word of God, 
heard the word that I have been proclaiming, hears about the need for all these other things we've talked about this morning, and they begin to live their lives for him, not just to do big things, but just simply to follow him every step of the way. And it's not because they have something great to offer. It's not because there's some great orator or they have some great talents that they just know the Lord would love to have and use. That's good. God does give us many talents. But they realize, no, first in my heart, I have nothing that's worthy and valuable that can be used by the Lord. But yet in some way I know he'll take me just like I am. And that's the key, isn't it? That we come to the place of understanding that it's not about who I am or where I live or what I do or what I don't do or have or any of those other things. It's the realization that I need the Lord. That I'm broken and I'm undone and there's no way to enter into his kingdom except through surrender to who he is. Jesus says that's the person who will bear fruit. The beautiful stories. In fact, there are many stories in the scripture of people like this. My mind went to Mary Magdalene. It's first recorded of her in Luke chapter 8 where we learn that from Luke, in fact, that she was one of the people who followed Jesus after having seven demons cast out of her. Can you imagine the love of a person like that? We have a couple instances of that, but this one in particular was one that where she would be noted in Scripture numerous times over. If you read through scripture, and we're not going to go through all of those, but just one in particular is when she stood at a distance and watched as Jesus was so brutally treated. Remember that? When he was so beaten and abused and, and, and literally, the scripture says, turned into a person that you couldn't even recognize as a man. And Mary was watching all of that because she remembered. She knew what he had done for her. And how not just externally, but internally, she had been so radically transformed. Even so, after Jesus was crucified and his body was taken down and put in the the tomb, it was Mary who first went to the tomb on that resurrection morning to anoint his body with spices, just simply preparing him or his body for burial. And Mark tells us she was the first one there. In fact, John tells us in John 20, let me just read this because it's such a beautiful picture. It was Mary who was standing outside the tomb and she was weeping. Get this picture in your mind. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, oh, because they have taken away, listen to her words, my Lord. Do you hear that tenderness? Do you hear that change of heart? My Lord, that personal possession. He is my God. Not just my figurehead. Not just the one who can help me get rid of demons, but he is my Lord. And I don't know where they've laid it. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. How's she going to do that? You see her heart? I love him so. He's changed my life. I'll, I'll, I'll get his body. I'll pick him up myself and, and I'll put him where he needs to be. Just tell me where he is. 
And Jesus said to her, Mary, isn't that beautiful? All he had to do was call her name. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Again, she'd just been so changed. Just a beautiful illustration of a person that knew full well what it meant to be redeemed. And just needed to love him one more time. She believed in her, in her heart that he was dead. She didn't believe that he was going to be gone, that he would be actually resurrected, even though he had been teaching that. She just loved him so. She just had to go and love him one more time by preparing his body. There's many others. There's the woman who was the prostitute. Some have said this is Mary Magdalene. That's not accurate, I don't believe. I think the locations are two separate places. I think this was a different woman who was a prostitute. Luke 7 says, and we don't really know much about this woman at all. In fact, we really only know from Luke 7, while Jesus was in the Pharisee's house, he was reclining at the table, Luke says, and this woman brought in an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet her, his feet with her tears. Picture that. And kept wiping them with the hair of her head. Ladies, would you do that? Get that picture. I mean, that's a beautiful picture right there because we know that the glory of a woman is her hair, right? That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. You know how important your hair is to you. And this woman was so broken and so overcome by her own sinfulness and the realization that Christ was the answer. She didn't care. And was even wiping his feet with her hair and also kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. And there's just no way that was for show. That, people don't do that out of an emotional stance. They do it because their heart has been so drastically changed. And Jesus says in verse 47 to the rest of the Pharisees listening, For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little, basically rejecting them and judging them. But to her, he's saying, there, look, here is a woman who the seed of God's word was planted in her heart and it took root. And she's giving evidence of that by her great love. Which is why the Lord says it is these people, the broken of spirit, the broken of soul, the contrite of heart, who are the ones who produce spiritual fruit. And in effect is saying, these are the kingdom of heaven people. And they will produce a hundredfold, 60, 30. Now what does he mean by that? I don't really know other than to say that it is through these people that I will do great work. It's not based on their talent or their abilities. It's simply based on the fact that their hearts are right with me and I will use them for my glory. Some people will see great results, a hundred times more than they ever dreamed possible in their life. Others will receive, will receive 30, and Jesus probably could whittle that down. I think he's using a, a figurative kind of an example here saying, Going back to the truth that if you just give someone a cup of cold water in my name, I will multiply that over many times. And so if you think about what does it mean to do something in Jesus' name, it simply just means whatever you're doing, wherever you're living life, however God presents to you an opportunity, that you take advantage of that. 
that you see him as the, the resource, the reason, the purpose in everything that you do. Apostle Paul would say, here's the example we should live in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether it's eating or drinking or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Don't you love it when God breaks things down in its simplest form? We don't have to say, Lord, what am I supposed to do as your child? What do, what do I do? How do I show that I belong to you? There it is. Give somebody a cup of cold water. Does that mean you go around with a Dixie cup and you hand them a cup of water? No. Well, it might be. But it just simply means that whatever you do, Paul says, whatever you do, whatever you do, you get it? Do it in his name. And he'll use it for his glory. So with all that being said now, I think the, the question is begged from the Lord is that to the listening disciples... He's helping them to look at the crowd and even into their own hearts and causing them to ask, who are you like? Which one of these are you? So I would ask you the same question this morning. Are you more like the person who misunderstands because your heart is hard? You hear the message. It's not like you haven't heard the message, but your heart is hard because you really don't want to follow. Maybe you're just being pleasant. Or maybe you're like the second person who also hears the word, receives it with great joy until the problems come. The cares of this life begin to choke out what's really important. Or when others say, hey, you're one of those Christians, aren't you? Don't you go to Laurel Hill over there? That place that believes that Jesus is the only way to heaven? You're one of those folks, aren't you? Uh, uh, well, uh, I know some people that go there. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, you see? Or maybe you're the third person where you've been so zealous for the Lord, you've served him faithfully. But when the cares of the world get so big, and I'm talking about when it starts stinging personally, when the Lord asks you, are you more concerned about giving to my work or gathering for yourself? It's the picture of the building the bigger barns, right? You know that story in the scripture? The rich guy says, oh man, look how great I am. Look how wealthy I am. I'm just going to build more and more barns with all my stuff. And the Lord says, you fool. Don't you know that tonight your soul is required of you? No, you don't. And that's the point. We don't know when our soul is required of us. God hadn't given us that information. And so his question to us is, how are you going to serve me with what I've given you? God is the provider of all things, right? I mean, how many of you really understand this morning that God has given to you everything that you have? How many of you all woke up this morning and said, boy, I sure am glad somebody created this oxygen. How many of you all woke up this morning and said, I sure am glad that somebody fixed and created gravity so I don't just float up into the heavens. But yet when it comes to the material things, you'll say, ooh, I sure am glad I did all this and need to hold on to it. The good news is, and this is really good news, that no matter if you're one of the first three people 
God has the ability to make you the fourth person. That's the joy in it all. You can still be that kingdom person. Because that's what he came to do. He came to point out to us where we're going off on the wrong path. So that we come back to the right path. That's Jesus' whole message here. Meaning that whatever's going on in your life, he can fix it. And he can create in you that heart that he wants you to be. That's the business that he's in. Aren't you glad? That the Lord is in the heart business. He fixes broken hearts. His question simply is, are you willing to let me do it? If so, I'll do it 100%. But you've got to give me 100%. And I'll make you a part of my kingdom. So what's the question? I mean, what's the answer? Where do you stand this morning? So we're going to close right here. And I'm going to start something a little different. We had done this many times before years ago. Uh, but we're going to make available to those of you who would like um, any Sunday morning for our deacons. Some Our deacons are going to come forward here. Just those who are here, Jeff, if you're here, if you'll come forward. I want you to come so people can see you. Craig's not here this morning, I guess, Bonnie. Um, Hamp is here. He's coming. Um, who am I missing? Biagio is not here. These are Hamp is one of our elders. Jeff is one of our deacons. Uh, I'm an elder, you know, a pastor. Brother Danny, of course, is sick right now. But there are people who are willing to pray with you this morning so that you can have an opportunity, not out of an emotional response, okay? Emotions are good. But the Lord wants us to respond out of the truth that we see ourselves the way he sees us. And so we just want to make available to you, if you're desiring to, after we're done here at the service as Hamp leads us through this final song, that you come and, and offer yourself to the Lord as you see fit and as you need, you know you need the Lord, okay? Don't be ashamed. This is back to the one person that Jesus is talking about. If you're not, if you're not willing, and I'm not trying to put pressure on you, I'm just trying to help you to see the truth. If you're not willing to say, Lord, I want to follow you among people who are followers, then how are you ever going to do it out in the world? Right? You get the point? Yeah, Neil, come on. Thank you, bro. You see the point? All right. Well, let's close. I'll pray. And then uh, as these guys are playing and singing, you can have an opportunity to respond if you'd like, if you so choose. Father, we thank you for your clarity this morning. We thank you for how you touch our hearts, uh, obviously, in a way that only God himself could do. And so we, we don't need proof, Lord, that you are truly God himself come in the flesh. But sometimes our hearts do stumble. Sometimes in our beginnings, in our walkings with you, our walk with you, we, we struggle to believe, we struggle to trust, we struggle to take that first step. I'll never forget the day that I first personally gave my life to you when I I just felt your spirit touching my heart and I, I knew these truths to be real. And so, Lord, I pray that for that person that might be here or many that might be here, or even those watching online, if there's any doubt or any misunderstanding about where they are with you, I pray that you would reveal that to them even now. Eternity really does depend on it for them. Or maybe there's somebody here this morning that just wants to come forward and just, just love you. Kind of like the Marys that we saw. The Mary and the uh, 
the lady who washed Jesus' feet. Lord, whatever the need of the heart right now, we pray that in this very solemn, very sacred, very holy time, that you would do your work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would everyone stand, please? This is a newer song, but but I'm sure you'll learn it quickly. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. Great are you, Lord. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore. Every heart that is broken, great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only great are you Father, we just know you have put it in our hearts, your greatness, your love for us, your mercy to us. 
Lord, we just thank you so much. We thank you for the breath that you put in our lungs that we can speak to you, that we can sing to you. Lord, we just ask that you would remind us daily to use that breath to share with those of us around us. Help us to be the one who increases a hundredfold. So, Lord, we just thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We thank you for all that he did for us, mostly for paying a price that we couldn't. It's in his name I pray. Amen.